What's going on, thinkers, and welcome back to Thoughts by DeVille Dia. Glad that y'all are here with me again. As you know, I scour the world to find the most interesting people that I can find to bring here to you to share their sports stories, their uh, adventures, and the things that they're getting into, their, their entrepreneurships, whatever it is that they have going on, so that we can spread these positive messages, and so on and so forth. That was my politically correct speech for today. So, today we have with us... Courtney Pie. Did I say it right? Paji. Courtney Paji. <laughs> my fault. Courtney Paji is joining us today. How are you doing today, Courtney? I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm healthy and I'm maintaining. Are you um um where you where you live, are you guys still under like a heavy lockdown right now? Well, I live in and am from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And we saw some of the highest numbers. They did ease restrictions, but just about everybody I know is still um, staying back. So for myself, I'm still on quarantine. I understand that. It's, it's only with my line of work, I never was truly quarantined. I've been working through the whole thing. So, um, but I've just started, as they're opening things up, I have my selective places that I'll go. I'll go to the gun range. They just opened the gym. I'll go to the gym because there's only, the most people I've seen in my gym at one time when I've been there is probably six or seven people. It's like. I was going to say gyms are scary, but okay, six or seven yeah, people. No, like, <laughs> I was actually talking with one of the, the trainers today, and he was saying that how his clients are talking to him about how they're so ready to get back in. And he was like, you know, one of the other trainers was like, well, tell them to come on. And they're like, no, nah, they're kind of still spooked about because he does the classes, of course. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about putting, getting a group of people and putting them into this, into a, a small space and have them jumping around and sweating with each other. So Absolutely. You know, I just heard about the graduation drive-through, mind you. Yeah. A graduation drive-through in Atlanta, 20 people sick after... You know, I just, I just don't think it's over yet. It's not over yet. No, it's definitely not over. I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure that it'll ever actually be over, over. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, but hopefully we'll get the numbers to drop a little bit more, and it'll get safer to be sure. out there. Absolutely. So let's uh, get into a little bit to let the people get to know you a little bit, because I feel like sometimes when we share our different backgrounds and upbringings, it may help somebody out there that's in a similar. Uh, situation or has a similar background and say, hey, you know what? If he or she can do this, then I can do that too. So, sure. Courtney, tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, how you grew up and you say you're from New Orleans and, you know, just give us a little bit of your background story. Absolutely. Um, so, I'm from New Orleans and we stayed here long enough for me to get the New Orleans culture ingrained in me. So, 
Um, you know, we did move when I was 10, but 10 years was enough for me to always love gumbo the rest of my life, to always love Second Minds and Mardi Gras, uh, to always love the Saints. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, New Orleans is a very culturally rich place mm. in and of itself. Um, it's unlike any other place, and I've lived a couple of places, so I could say that with certainty. Um, it was, um, while it was fun and all those things, it's very interesting growing up in New Orleans as a Black woman, um, as a darker-skinned Black woman, uh, you know, with us having a Creole population, the lights get real light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, if you have any, uh, you know, background on colorism and what it could do and its effect it can have on folks, um, then you can imagine uh, what that would be like. Um, you know, we're known for, we're not, well, I guess I can't say known for the brown paper bag clubs. You must be lighter than a brown paper bag to get in. And that was imposed by the black people. Yeah. So I heard um, a lot of like fraternities and sororities at one point used to do those type of things. And mm -hmm, even like mm -hmm. at some gatherings, you, if you weren't lighter than the paper bag or if you couldn't run a comb through your hair, then you wasn't welcome. Absolutely. One of the famous clubs here is the Autocrat Club. Um, I say is because it still functions as an event space. But when there was membership and things like that, um, my grandfather being one of them, uh, there was the brown paper bag and comb test um, to even become a member and to subsequently uh, join in their events. So, um, you know, it was while I love being from this city, you know, and then I guess there's anywhere you go, it's going to have that one thing you wish you could change. Um, that would be it. Uh, and, and so while I love being from here, moving might've been uh, one of the best things for me because I got to experience, um, you know, first of all, just living somewhere else, knowing something else, mm -hmm. knowing other people, uh, knowing how other people think and, you know, moving to those places, Savannah being the first, um, you know, I learned, even though I did kind of shed some of the colorist uh, issues that happened in New Orleans, we picked up a whole new set of issues with class and, uh, you know, my parents uh, just coming from that education, education, education era, uh, they did it. They got the masters and the doctorates and, we lived in certain parts of town where other uh, black uh, families didn't frequently live. So then I had to deal with this whole other dynamic. Uh, why do I, you know, talk white? Yeah. And why, you know, do I like certain things and not like other things? And so there was this kind of identity uh, push and pull, you know, and being the, the intellectual young black person is is hard <laughs> it's hard and um you know shout out to people like Wu-Tang Clan and Outkast you know what until I was you know really uh introduced to that part of hip-hop and and uh you know young black people that don't mind speaking in polysyllabic words and phrases and I was like, yeah, those are my people. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like somebody out there can feel me. Somebody out there has imagination and creativity. I mean, you know, when you think, 
you know, someone like, I don't know, uh, Andre 3000 or, you know, uh, Method Man, you know, they must have some type of imagination to talk about nine dudes come out of Staten Island with swords, you know, it's just like, and that's where I found my refuge. Um, And then, you know, other than that, you know, moved a couple of other places and, you know, went went on that search to find myself and that landed me in Chicago and Atlanta and LA. Um, And then back here, um, had, had my daughter, later than just about everyone else I know in life at about 37. And um, that brought in a whole new world for me, you know, having to be responsible for someone else's life yeah. um, and and shaping the way they will grow up. And I think I, there's something in me said that I can't, I couldn't allow myself to be so hypocritical as to say to her, she could be anything in this life. And I didn't at least try to be everything I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that renewed my, um, refueled some dreams that I'd had, uh, culminating into my first book that I wrote um, and some other passion projects that I will definitely, that I am taking on, um, entrepreneurship being one of them. I don't want to raise another worker bee. Um, You know, I want to raise someone who, if she so chooses, won't be afraid to take the risks involved with entrepreneurship or going against the grain. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that brings me to who I am today. Yeah. um, One thing you said I think is important is, like you said, teaching your child to not just have to, to feel as if they have to go into the workforce as a worker bee. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when my daughter was younger, she was, we were just talk. we have these talks and we were talking one day and she was asking, um, she was asking about her mom's job and she was like, is that a good job? And I was like, yeah. And then she asked her, you know, about my job and was it a good job? And I'm like, yeah, it's a good job. And then she was, she was like, I was like, so what kind of job do you think you want to have, you know, when you grow up? And she was like, I think I want to, uh, work in a salon. I'm like, okay, like a hair salon or something? She was like, yeah. And I was like, well, how about you think about owning the salon? Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, I can probably do that. And then, <laughs> which, which led to later conversations of her saying, hey, Dad, hey, when I grow up, can you buy me a salon? And I'm oh, like, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> I, can, I can damn sure try to get you one. Hey, you put, I know that's right. Lift that flame up under me. Mm-hmm. But um, now she's into she's into art and she does digital art and she wants to get be like an anime, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, animator. I guess that's what it is. Oh like, wow, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and you, see, and that sounds like you know you support her natural passions, talents, and abilities. Um, and that's exactly what I want to do. I don't you know, necessarily want to pigeonhole her into anything or make her feel she has to do something. Um, but I I feel like, especially as far as the Black community is concerned, I think we are trained rigorously for workforce-type lives. And, you know, sometimes even just the audacity to say that you will own a business or even... Uh, pursue something outside of, you know, kind of the normal, be a teacher, be a, you know, doctor, be this, that, 
you know, you go to someone and say, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a comedian when I grow up. And it's like, wait, what? You know, or even something. And, and you can probably attest to this and say, hey, I'm starting a podcast. What? You know, Why? any of those things that that go out of that that nine to five grind um, are scary to people. And, and it's just my mission to make sure that 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 is not scary to her in the at the least. You know, she does find some passion within that realm. Fine. But I just don't want it to be scary to her because that fear has held me hostage, even with all the dreams that I have, uh, to when, where now I'm just not breaking through them. Yeah, and I, I definitely relate because my thing was music. And mm-hmm. probably around, I got in the band middle school and I was into that for a while. And then I started to get into more of a hip hop type of music. And I was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. So, of course, I start the first thing. I go to my first uh, a financial resource, you know, mom. I say, hey, mom, <laughs> I want to rap. Can I get uh, turntables and can I get a mixer? And she's like, why do you need that? I'm like, I want to rap. I'm going to be a rapper. And yeah, she's absolutely. like, okay, and what else you going to do? I'm like, no, I'm going to be a rapper. She's That's like, it. Yeah, what else you got to do? You get, need to get a trade. You need to go do this and go that. And I'm like, why? Because I'm going to be a rapper. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I never really got that backing mm-hmm. on that. And I did. I still did the music all the way up through. That's what ended me up in the Atlanta area. I moved here to do music. And we had a good little run for a while. Um, little small town, what they call Chitlin Circuit <laughs> type okay. of shows. We were going to colleges, Fort Valley, uh, nice. uh, Georgia Southern, places like that, and doing shows. And then I just, I started a family and everything. It was like, yeah, I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have to be selfish, in my opinion, to be an artist in that form because you're gone a lot. Sure. And you're spending a lot of the activities that you have to be involved in take you into the morning. You know, mm-hmm. you go do a show. The show says from 10 to 2, but nobody's getting there till 1. So, exactly. you, you know. You're gonna be you're gonna be walking in the house at three, four, or five o'clock in the morning, and people start looking at you funny. Like, were you really just out performing till five o'clock in the morning? Right, right, right. Yeah. So well, I'm uh, surprised. I'm surprised we haven't run into each other in Atlanta. That's that's interesting. I I definitely stumped through Atlanta for quite some time. Hey, you never know. We may we may have uh, what they say ships crossing in the night. And... You know what? Maybe. Have you ever gone to the Soulful Cipher or participated with them at all? I don't believe so. You should check them out. But I yeah, may. I don't believe. You know, those were some wild days back then. <laughs> <laughs> I may have, I don't, because we we it, we went a lot, we were in a lot of events, so I can't really. It doesn't. It sounds familiar, but it doesn't click. You know what I mean? Okay. But a lot of the places, I couldn't tell you the, the, as far as like the One from the other? Are, yeah, one from the so other. So you're going to have to tell me about those Atlanta street screeps. Excuse me. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I know all about them. <laughs> if you don't watch yourself, they'll swallow you up. I tell you that. Oh. It's not, it's not oh. for the week. No, it is not. And I know many that have fallen victim and. You know, can't say that I wasn't on the edge of the mountain myself holding on by a fingernail. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, are, what are you working on now? What do you uh, want to uh, give out to the people today? Sure. So, uh, you know, first of all, you know, I know quarantine is either almost over or over, depending where you are. But 
um, you know, I would advise you to stay in just a little longer and read my new book. Um, I call it Quarantine's Hottest Read, uh, The Garden of Eden. The first installment is called Thieves in the Temple. It will be a series. Um, I call it my passion project mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, the one thing I really want to do is inspire people to read again. Uh, so this may not be for my bibliophobes. This may not be for my person that has, you know, six bookmarks and, you know, six different books that are all 500 pages apiece. Um, I'd love for you to, but I'm really trying to inspire people to pick up a book again that may have either never or haven't in a while. Mm -hmm. um, I, I teach English at a community college here. And I can just tell you from my students and from just being on social media, we have stopped reading as a culture. I can tell by the way people write, speak, spell. <laughs> we are not reading. And so, um, you know, I want to inspire folks to do that again. So it's a short story. It's a short series. Um, one of the main reasons I found that people either stopped reading or don't is because they feel it takes too long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I get it. We all have lives. Who wants to read 350, 450 pages unless that's your passion or hobby? Um, and then you probably know you're sitting on social media. Somebody, you know, uh, posts a status about a an article and you can tell they didn't even read it. They only Definitely. went by, by the title. So, you know, reading is, is, is missing and literacy is missing. Uh, so that's one part of it. And then another part of it I... Uh, learned while in Atlanta, um, I had this weird um, where I, I tried to act like they didn't exist um, merely for my own benefit in that if, if they don't exist, then I don't have to feel it. I don't have to empathize, uh, things like that. And so when that, when that struck me, I went on this kind of mission to humanize homeless people for myself. Mm -hmm. So I stopped the radio at the stoplight, acting like I'm just so into turning the radio so I don't have to acknowledge their presence. Um, you know, I stopped uh, when I was walking up to a convenience store so I wouldn't have to acknowledge those that were outside. And I actually started having conversations and then actually kind of befriending some folks um, that lived on the streets of Atlanta and um, then ended up getting this job um, in Athens, Georgia, where I worked with the homeless population. And I just realized so many things about them that I hadn't noticed before, um, even up to a couple that I knew. And, and I guess for me, I felt like, gosh, if I was homeless, the last thing I'd be worried about is, you know, trying to fall in love or, you know, yeah. make love or whatever. And then I thought about it, you know, once I kind of opened myself up to the humanity of, of the I'm sorry, homeless population. I thought, well, but why wouldn't I? Yeah, you know, they, I am human. They still have know? lives too. Absolutely. And they still have needs, wants, and desires. Let's be real, real, mm -hmm. you know. And so, um, you know, as I opened myself up to that more and more, then I thought about, we talk about rep representation a lot. Um, and, you know, especially when it comes to people of color. Uh, but I just thought the homeless uh, population is not represented in media. Um, a lot. And when they are, it's just kind of as this ornament, like he went that way. But there wasn't really stories told um, from from their perspective. And so the the uh, influence for this whole series, actually, 
uh, comes from this community of homeless people and the people that they touch. So everyone else is, is tangential from them instead of them being, you know, ornamental to someone else's story. And I'm really proud of that, you know, that I was able to bring a love story, um, a story of redemption, a story of good versus evil um, from from this community's perspective. That sounds dope. That sounds dope. Thank you. Thank so you. Where, where can the people find this if they were looking uh, for it? Yeah, I'm, I'm self-published on Amazon. So Amazon.com, you can get the paperback for $7.99. Um, if you're a Kindle reader or if you uh, would like to download the Kindle app, it is $3.99. Um, and then Kindle also has this um, almost like a library where you can borrow mm -hmm. and or read pages of a book for free. So it is uh, possible to read the book, the entire book for free through the uh, Kindle Unlimited, it's called. And, um, you know, I'm really excited for people to discover, uh, like I said, this community, discover their wants and desires. Um, you know, I follow one uh, guy who didn't want to leave the streets and that's, uh, he is influenced by someone that I met. Mm -hmm. uh, who didn't want to found himself on the street and what he didn't choose the option at first but he has he really changed what homelessness meant to me you would never know it to see him hear him be around him um and it it's just amazing you know who who we pass by every day yeah and uh you know what brought them there and and what will bring them out of there yeah, I, I met, it reminded me of a story um, when I was probably 10, 12, somewhere in there. I had this friend, Jason, and Jason and Patrick, they're brothers. And they had this big, like, tree fort that their dad built in these woods uh, behind our houses. Mm -hmm. So we used to go back there and play in the woods, and me and Jason would wander through the woods. And we saw this guy, homeless guy. And we start calling him Dog Man because yeah. <laughs> because originally we called him Dog Man because he bark. I oh. guess he was trying to, I guess keep people away mm -hmm. from his area. He bark, but one day Jason was out there and he saw him. So, you know, we being kids, being goofy, joking. It's, there's a Dog Man that lives in the woods over here. Let's go see if we can see Dog Man. So we went out there, and one day we found his tent, and he had all this stuff out there. And Jason, we split up, and I went home, and Jason went to walk the railroad track. Yeah, that, I just made myself sound as country as could be. I was going to say, now where are we? <laughs> this is in South Georgia. This is in South Georgia. There was a, oh, well, this was actually a, country. That's all right. It was, it was actually a neighborhood. But there was a train track that ran through the neighborhood. So, so where are we? Like Waycross, Tipton, Valdosta. Valdosta. Okay. Yeah, All right. Ooh, by the Florida line. Okay. Right. They All call right. it Florida. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> call it Florida. So he was walking the track, and he actually bumped into Dog Man and started talking to him. And one day he took me out there to meet. Of course, our parents and everybody told us stay away from Dog Man, but oh, we still sure. little boys. We'll 
we naive enough to feel like dog man's okay. He's not going to bother us. And so we go out there and we talk to him. And like you said, we come to find out he was there by choice. He wanted mm. to live out there because it was, he wanted to be away from things. Like he went through, uh, I believe it was like his, I don't know if he was, it was his mother or his wife that had passed. Mm-hmm. And when, whenever that happened, he says he just packed up his stuff and, so like I'm just gonna go away from society. So yeah. that was his peaceful place. He's got his tent. He's got his little cooking pots. He's just out there living. And and this is if I could paint the picture, I would love it, but I can't. But it was this is like right in the middle of nothing but houses and apartment buildings, and this is patch of woods that has just become like his kingdom. He doesn't mm. bother nobody. He's happy as he could be out there living. So, yeah, there are people who actually choose whether it be a good thing for them or a bad thing for them. Because he wasn't the typical what you think of when you think of a homeless person. He wasn't a dirty, stinking, drunk, drugged up guy. He was he was that's why we were comfortable around him, because he was like a normal guy. He just mm-hmm. lived in the woods, had a big, big, scruffy beard. And that's beard this guy and, that I know. He... He works out every day in Piedmont Park, um, you know, right next to, uh, you know, the groups of, you know, yoga and Pilates and, you know, what everyone else is doing. He's cut and, 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 and toned in a way that you, you know he has to be nutritionally healthy. Like, mm-hmm. then you can't just get like that, right? Yeah. Um, and he, he's created this network of people who are invested in his well-being and so he does eat good regularly he had a cell phone um he did odd jobs for people so he had money in his pocket um he had possessions and not just trash you know it was you know books that he bought and trinkets and things like that and so you know and he's just like a dog man (laughs) And that, you know, he said once he disconnected, he felt a peace, you know, not running the rat race, not, you know, worrying about bills and things like that. And he had no desire to pick that burden back up, you know, and to a point I couldn't blame him, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say it's for me, but. I understand the desire to get off the wheel. And I think for me, that that's why I pursue entrepreneurship. That's why I pursue uh, being as independent from the rat race as I can. Um, you know, his remedy may be, you know, his situation of homelessness. Mine is, um, you know, financial freedom and being able to chart my own course daily. And, you know, not have to worry about, you know, can't take care and do her part of the spreadsheet so I could do my part and we could turn it in by Friday and all that other mess, you know. Um, I, and I think that's, in some ways, I think we all have that desire deep down. In us. We just have to find what for us is the path to that type of freedom. Um, you know, so my husband and I, we talk and we plan you know, how to really tackle this entrepreneurship thing 
um, how to instill it in our in our daughter that you're an owner, you're a boss, you know, um, not you know just someone who's just gonna clock in. And I, but I think it comes from that that desire of freedom. You know, humans want to be free. You want your time to be yours, and you know until you can kind of figure that out. I don't know if you're ever content, um, you know, with life, and and I don't want you know anyone to have to feel that feeling, you know, day in and day out. I want people to find whatever that outlet is that gives you that gives you that freedom. Yeah. And so what are some of the um, the entrepreneurial ventures that you're getting into or, the, or that you have set up? Sure. So um, for me, it started with, you know, I watch a lot of Shark Tank. <laughs> and, you know, they always talk about starting off with the needs and, you know, fulfilling a need. So after Katrina in New Orleans, uh, there's a part of New Orleans called New Orleans East where... Um, before Katrina, it would have been your middle class to um, upper middle class black families. Um, after Katrina, there was a lot that went on politically, economically. Um, number one, some people just found better lives in other cities. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know that the grass is greener until you get there. Yeah. So some people got to Atlanta and saw how things were going there. Some got to places like Dallas and Houston and saw how things are going there, Chicago even, um, and decided, eh, this is better. And they just stayed. Um, and then there was this whole insurance fiasco where insurance wasn't paying for things, wasn't um, helping people get back to their homes. Um, and then there's the political landscape here where some people didn't want the return of, of you know, certain communities. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, However, it left this big hole in in the economy and the commerce, especially of the new, of New Orleans East. Pretty much right now, if it's not downtown, if it's not the French Quarter, if it's not uptown, where um, you know a lot of people have transplanted to with certain income, then it's you won't find it. Um, so places to eat, places to shop. Um, you know, even places to just do normal everyday things are just missing. You have to go out of this community to get it. Um, so the first part of our plan is to bring to this part of the community some basic necessities, things like um, you can't even get your tag. Um, you can't get anything notarized. You can't get titles and things like that. Just everyday life that if you follow that trail leads to this community always being in the municipal system. You know, get caught without a tag. Get caught without, you know, the proper licensing. Get caught without insurance. And you stay caught up in that. Um, So my first venture is to open kind of a one-stop shop for that purpose. Right on one of the main thoroughfares in, in the East, um, so that you can drive, bike, or walk <laughs> to come get what you need. Nice. Um, but I think things like that are the first steps to a community coming back. And like I said, if you stay in the municipal system, you stay paying tickets, you stay going to court, you stay on probation, things like that um, economically hinder communities from growing. 
Um, so right now I'm taking my notary exam <laughs> and I'm uh, applying to be what they call a public license uh, tag agent to help some of that go. My husband's passion is cooking and he's very good at it. I may not say that to him enough, but he is. So <laughs> one thing we want to do um, is open our restaurant. Now this we have been talking about for quite some time. And again, out in New Orleans East, if it's not Popeye's or McDonald's, it's not here. You can't get Chinese. Um, we just got a pizza place like that. I mean, when I tell you there's a gaping hole in the commerce, there's a gaping hole. Uh, so we do want to open our restaurant. Um, even my daughter, you know, watches myself and my husband and she, you know, simulates cooking all the time. So I really feel like that um, is really going to be our thing. Um, but just logistically and economically, it makes more sense to open the other business um, and let that one feed our, you know, ultimate goal. Um, we want to call it the Paji Pot. <laughs> to fuse um, his, you know, kind of culinary back background and my culinary taste. So in, he's from Cincinnati um, and they specialize in chili. If you've ever been to Ohio, chili is their thing. Yeah, I, I lived in Ohio for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, oh, we've been following each other. I, I know in, I know you now. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Elyria and I lived in Lorraine. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I lived in Middletown. He lived in Cincinnati, and then we both went to school at Miami University in Oxford. Okay. Um, so we want to bring chili to New Orleans. Um, there's enough seafood, and there are probably 50 more seafood spots in New Orleans. Um, you know, there's enough soul food. There's enough fried chicken and fried this and that culinary experience will hopefully give us a leg up while fusing that with um, some of the, you know, staples. So with the chili, we want to do, you know, chili pastas and chili and cheese fries and nachos, you know, things like that. Um, it's important to me to keep the price point in this area. It's something that people can get all the time, not just because I want them to, but because I think it having a staple that doesn't drain the community yeah. would be beneficial. Um, do they want fine dining? Do we deserve fine dining out here? Absolutely. But, you know, fine dining, especially for the working class uh, family, is a treat. It's your once a month. It's your maybe two Fridays. It's your graduation or something like that, um, which, albeit, is necessary. But I think having an option where you can eat, um, you know, at little to no cost, um, feed the family and chill is is something that that's definitely missing. I mean, even Popeyes, you know, bucket of chicken Popeyes is not cheap. It, it's not. It's not. <laughs> and it's it's always good to have those go to places where you can, you know, what what we're gonna get for lunch today? Well, let's stop by the Paji exactly. Pot. You know, I'm gonna grab some chili from the Paji Pot for lunch, or on my way home, I'm just gonna grab something from there. And sure. Because it, well, a lot of people lose sight of in in entrepreneurship is that i always go back to mcdonald's what is over a billion served mm -hmm. they, they're not making money for charging you 12 bucks for a cheeseburger Tell they're making you making their money by selling 
12 million cheeseburgers, you know, the more people they get through the door, you know, the more affordable you can make the food and, and, and the more people you can draw in because other than the people who, uh, are just ultra uber health conscious, everybody's stopping at a McDonald's, a Chick-fil-A or a Burger King or, or, you know, whatever the fast food joint is that you prefer but everybody is grabbing some fast food at some point because it's affordable and it's right there it's it's right there and that that is irrespective of your social class your race your sometimes it doesn't even matter what side of town you're on there are sides of town where people may not want to go but if you are hungry and that's a mcdonald's on that corner and it's you know however long to your house you are going to stop and take the chance for that, you know, 99 cent uh, cheeseburger or whatever. And, you know, and I think you bring up an excellent point about entrepreneurship. It's not about making all your money on one customer or one transaction. You know, the, the cornerstone to business is repeat business. And if your product or service does not rise to the level of the price point then you are setting yourself up to fail and you know for me i just don't think there's anything i can do to make a chili dog eight dollars there's no reason for an eight dollar chili dog you know um and so you know i think about that from that kind of practical standpoint and we and like you just said we want to be a place where people go to all the time yeah. Not just not just the special occasions. Like I get that, and and that's good. And my husband's worked in fine dining. He's worked at Papados. Um, you know, since you're from Atlanta, I know you know. Um, and those places are wonderful, and they have their place. Um, but we really, I, I envision us being a place where I'm like, you know, hey Daryl, hey Sandra, you know, how's Melanie? I know she's graduating. I want that. Yeah. And I'm not sure, you know, that doing anything more than just having relatable you know, food that you can just consume, <laughs> you know, multiple times a week will get me that experience, you know, anything other than that. I want to be a staple, you know, and I want to want people to feel at home, really, you know, I think even those times frequent a place just because of how it feels, you know, when you're there. Um, and, and sometimes that feeling is wanting to feel glitzy and glamorous, so you put on yeah. your, you know, your best and you go out. Um, but I think you know nothing beats you know the small business, the small business. As we are learning through this COVID nineteen, the small business is really the cornerstone of the entire market. You know, you wipe out small business, and it's a domino effect. Um, and you know, for me, I I'm all about knowing where I belong. And, you know, in my heart, I feel like I don't, I really don't even see us doing, you know, four, five and six restaurants and going to Atlanta and going to Houston, you know, Mm -hmm. that that's, that's not necessary to live a, the life that I want to live and b to count ourselves as successful. Um, So I think, you know, anybody embarking on entrepreneurship, you really need to have that conversation with yourself about what you're providing and what is truly, you know, the the zenith of that. Where can you where where can you absolutely go with that and be realistic about that? Um, I was just actually in a small business um, class about two weeks ago, 
And, you know, the first thing the young lady said is just these, um, you know, these big ideas and these expectations that go beyond, you know, the limits of your idea. Now, it's okay to have those, but maybe you just have the wrong idea at play, if that's the case. Um, you know, and making sure that where you are, there's a need for it, not just a want. You know, wants and desires are so fleeting, but needs stick around. <laughs> you yeah. know, you need oxygen. You need water. And so there can be 50 million water companies because you always need water. Um, and so making sure that your community has, or wherever you're trying to base from, has a need for what you're trying to bring. Um, and, you know, we what we did was I cast a net out there. So there's a community page for the New Orleans East area. And I just simply asked, I was like, you know, without restriction, without thinking of the political and the economical and all this, that, and the third, what do you want to see in the East? And that let me know, okay, here's, here are my potential customers. Here's what they're asking for. So I can bring, you know, jeweled gloves, but if they don't need it, then what am I really offering them? You know, so before we even settled, settled on our idea, I cast that net out there. Um, so, you know, I think anyone looking to start business or get into business, do that first. Just walk around your community or walk walk around where you think you'll be based on. Be like, hey, what do you think's missing around here? You know, what what would you like to see added to this community or the aesthetic or the economy or whatever like that? Um, and it, it'll kind of gauge you if you're on on the right track. I have a question that I want to ask you as a teacher. Sure. I know you said um, earlier about, you know, the, the time that it takes, reading takes too long, so on and so forth. But what are some things that you're seeing specifically with, like, what grade level do you, uh, you teach? College. College. Freshman English. Freshman. Okay, so that's, that's, that's still young, younger people. What are mm -hmm. some things that you're noticing or you pick up on anything that reasons why they're – going away from reading? Oh, woo. Well, number one, I, I do think is that time issue. You know, with social media, and I, and I hate to make social media the, the demon of everything, but it just might be, so that's just what it is. Um, but social media makes it so that you don't have to read. Um, you know, we have... We have, for lack of a better word, dummy down language to letters. See you later. And it's literally one, two, three, four, what, five, six. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when I then get them in the classroom and just the mere fact of asking them to write C-S-E-E-U-Y-O-U later, L-A-T-E-R, is like mind blowing. Um, I do think that we need to change and or really look at how we do grade school. I, you know, and shout out to all the teachers. I come from a family of teachers. So this is not, it's not all on the teachers. It's not just the teachers, but I'm finding that my students are not coming to me with the foundation. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. I think 
when we stopped valuing teachers, you know, with what we pay them and, you know, kind of uh, replacing them with standardized tests and things like that, we lost good people in that, um, in that field. Now, there are a lot that still remain. There are a lot that still remain. Um, but there's some holes. You know, you might get a great teacher in third grade and you might not see another great one until sixth or seventh, but look how much time um, is lost between that. Um, so I think there's a foundation that's missing. I think with standardized testing, from what I know from my experience, how um, demanding it is, you spend your whole, just about whole year teaching kids towards this test. And once you're done, everyone's mentally drained. Once the test is taken, and that's usually not till March or April, so this year's about over anyway. It doesn't leave time for really skill building. You know, we're teaching towards the test and there's not a lot of skill building. Yeah. But then when I get them in my class and I assign them a scholastic article on the environmental effects of coastal erosion, Exactly. <laughs> I get crickets. <laughs> what what'd you say? What? I'm sorry. They're like, what? What'd you say? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. She said um, something about Coca-Cola and rodents. <laughs> you know, I, so I played with it. I played with it. This is my third year. And the first year, I brought it all the way down. I mean, I got a, I got a, one of my favorite books from when I was like nine and I brought it to the classroom and it, it went okay, but I think they did feel like, okay, now you didn't have to bring in, I like, you know, this book. So then the next time I went all the way for the gusto and I came in with an article on the environmental effects of coastal erosion. <laughs> And I got question marks and bewildered looks. Um, so now I kind of shoot for the middle and I, I give more, I give, what I can say is I've given the class over to the students in that they participate way more than before. Um, we have much more discussion. We read together, especially in the beginning. Um, I think that helps them to read on their own after that. You know, about mid-semester, I can see them taking over, um, you know, from there. Um, but it's kind of scary, you know. It, the critical thinking skills that come from being able to read and interpret, they're missing. I'm, I just have to be honest, they're missing. And... When you talk about the workforce becoming more skilled, skill-based, um, I think we're going to see, you know, more of a, a walk, a turn away, I should say, from the liberal arts kind of degrees, you know, four years, you spend a year and a half doing English math, and then you finally get to your major later. Um, you know, I really think we're moving to a more skill-based workforce. Uh, but with that is going to come some critical thinking. With that is going to come some intuition. Uh, with that is going to come some initiative. And you'd be surprised how much of that is based in being able to read and comprehend and infer. And, and you know, just kind of like, for instance, there's a part of, of almost every standardized test that says, you know, here's the passage. 
now choose where the author is going to go next or mm-hmm. what, what what do you think the conclusion should be but if you don't have the initiative if you don't have the confidence to bring take your thoughts out of your brain and put it on paper and say that's it that's the ending i want or that's it that's where these people will end up that same type of confidence you need if you are i don't care if you're in a plant somewhere and you're seeing the machine break down you can't wait for such and such to come and do it. You have to have the confidence to say, okay, this is what I foresee happening and the critical thinking skills to say, so I'm going to troubleshoot and intervene here so that that does not happen. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's quite unnerving to know that that isn't happening. I can't cure it in a semester, you know, 13 or so years of what didn't happen or what didn't come together. Um, and so then the answer is, what do you do? You know, or the question I should say is, what do you do? And the answer I'm still working on. <laughs> well, I hope that you figure it out. I'm rooting for you and I, I appreciate your efforts. Now, uh, before we get out of here, there's a question I like to ask everybody who comes on the show. Okay. Okay. Now, this doesn't have to be specific to any genre or any specific type of uh, uh, business or writing or anything, but to a person out there listening that is right there and they're ready, they're trying to pull it together and start to work on their dream, what advice would you give them? Um, number one, start. You know, I and you've probably heard that before, but that's because it's true. Um, You know, you can sit and think and plan and, you know, but do something to start. Like for me, you know, I thought about, hmm, I want to start, you know, business, a one stop shop. (laughs) But until I, you know, went on the Secretary of State website and learned what I had to do and then, you know, emailed the, 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 notary pre-assessment goes through LSU here, emailed LSU and they sent me the link and then it got real. Like, okay, we'll take the test. Uh oh. Mm. You know, things start, you know, once you once you kind of open your mouth. Um, so start and and block out the naysayers. You know, some of you know, some of the uh I just demonize social media, but some of the Facebook and Instagram uh, you know, Yodas out there, they hit the nail on the head sometimes. Make your moves in silence sometimes, especially if you're prone to uh, falling victim to the naysayers. Just don't tell them, you know, and and be your own voice and cheerleader until you, you know, get to that place where you can say, hey, I'm not doing this. I've done it. You know, Um, I think also investing in yourself. We get so, you know, we talked about fear. And I used to, and one of the things that have stopped that has stopped me before is, oh, I want to do this, right? And then I do the research, and it's $125 to, I don't know, take the test, get the certification, go to the seminar, blah, 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 blah. And the fear of not recouping that money or the fear of not getting the return on that investment, or will I have enough to, you know, feed this or pay that, and I don't do it. But if you never invest in yourself, a, what are you saying about the dream? Do you even believe in it? Because, you know, you shouldn't fear a return on investment if you know that you're going to ter- take that certifi- certification and do what you need with it, then there's no need to be fearful of you getting that money back. 
um, but invest in yourself, believe in yourself and just get started. You know, there are certain things you can't turn back from. So if you pay for that assessment, you better take it and you better pass it, you know, or else you, it it is all for nothing. Um, You know, so challenge yourself in that way to take a step and then you'll take another and then you'll take another. And then you're actually on your way to, you know, not just pursuing your dreams, but realizing them. Nice. Nice. Now, take a second before we uh, sign off to tell the people once again where they can find that book and, you know, shout out any social media pages or any websites that you want to put out there. Sure, sure. So you're looking for The Garden of Eden, Thieves in the Temple by Courtney Paji. Uh, the last name is M as in Mary, the M is silent. So M is in Mary, P-A-G-I, Courtney Paji. It is Ugandan. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Mrs. Paji. So that's at M is in Mary, R is in Road, S is in Sam, M is in Mary, P is in Paul, A is in Apple, G is in Go, I is in Igloo. <laughs> and English the same on Facebook as well. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, the same on Facebook as well, uh, Mrs. Courtney Paji. Um, I am a micro influencer on Instagram, so you'll find um, you know some funny stuff, some some encouraging things, uh, you know, some uh, merchandise that you can buy. So it's not just me or the book. You know, I don't want people to feel like they're going to be inundated with <laughs> images of the book. Um, but you know, I'm really building it um, as a lifestyle kind of profile. Uh, so you'll find uh, not just those things, but uh, things that'll help you, you know, on your journey for whatever that may be. All right. Now, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time out to talk with me today. I really, really do appreciate it. And um, thank you. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. You're welcome back anytime you have anything you want to discuss. Just hit me up and we'll get it, put it back together. Sure, sure. I, I have some things bubbling in my mind now that I kind of know where you've been because I've been there too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, You know, we'll we'll talk further about that. All right. And to the listeners, as always, thank y'all for tuning in. I love and appreciate each and every last one of y'all because, as I always say, if it weren't for you, I'd just be sitting here talking to myself. (laughs) Thank (laughs) y'all, and we out of here. Y'all have a great day. Bye-bye.